0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Revolution Watch podcast. I'm your co-host Kevin and joining me as always is Stephanie. Steph, how are you?
1: I'm very good. Hope everyone is doing well as well.
0: Yes, so in this episode we had the absolute pleasure to sit down with Mr. Carl Friedrich Schoffeler who's the co-president of Chopard, uh, along with his sister Caroline. He's also the president of La Chronométrie Ferdinand Berthoud.
1: I-, I would say he's one of the most influential people in the industry, but he was also extremely humble and very nice Um, when we met him in Hong Kong. He was in Hong Kong to launch the Alpine Eagle.
0: Yep, so the new Chopard uh, watch, which is the luxury sports watch in uh, stainless steel.
1: Yes, so stay tuned. Um, The interview will come a bit later. But before we jump into the interview, uh, let's talk a bit about some news that has happened
0: Yes, I think obviously the biggest news that everyone has heard about is the LVMH Group buying Tiffany & Co., the American jeweler.
1: LVMH Group acquired Tiffany for US $16.2 billion, which is quite a lot of money at $135 per share. So Tiffany is a brand that everyone knows of. Everyone has probably seen the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Everyone has probably seen the blue box the Tiffany blue box and know what Tiffany represents um and at the same time LVMH is one of the world's largest luxury groups its brand portfolio you know includes Louis Vuitton it includes Bulgari it includes Christian Dior um and but but LVMH is not very strong in its high-end jewelry offering until it acquired Tiffany and now it's sort of um is, you know, is compare, can be compared to its biggest rival, Richemont, who owns Cartier, Van Cleef, and Arpels, and, and everything else.
0: Right. But then, also from a watchmaking standpoint, um, acquiring Tiffany is an interesting aspect when you know that Tiffany is the official retailer for Patek Philippe in the US, right? So, when you know that um, Tiffany signed Patek Philippe watches have been the craze for so many years the fact that lvmh who owns other watch brands now also owns the 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 name tiffany you kind of you know start getting into the imagination of what possibly could be done with such a name and by owning also other watch brands
1: yeah but i think tiffany's main business is jewelry and i think that probably is the reason why lvmh acquired it watch You know, the the watches part is only a pretty small part of the Tiffany brand. Obviously, it's something that makes collectors super excited about. Everyone talks about, you know, Tiffany signed Patek Mm Philippe, for example. Yeah. But um, we will have to wait and see what they do with it.
0: Oh yeah, I don't think they're going to announce any plan. I think it, uh, like you said, the main reason is really for the jewelry offering, yeah, uh, which is you know uh, fairly interesting and you know brings in some good competition, I guess, uh, between the luxury groups. So fairly interesting to see how that's going to evolve.
1: So we have a, f- a story on the the whole acquisition and, and analysis of you know what what's going on on the website. So we'll link, we'll put a link in our show notes so you can go online to read more about it.
0: While you're on the website you might also want to check out the story about the latest F.P. Journe watch that uh, we published recently. We actually had the chance of meeting Mr. F.P. Journe himself who was in Hong Kong to present his uh, F.P. Journe Astronomique Souveraine which is the production version of the Only Watch uh, unique piece that he sold uh, for charity.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, Kevin, you actually spoke to him because um, you guys had a conversation in French.
0: Yes, he's very uh, like he, he prefers to give uh, to give answers in, in, in French. It's it's much, it's much easier to do an interview in French with him and have uh, you know all the answers like yeah.
1: this. Um, so, we will publish a full interview with him later on on the website. But for now, is there anything you know funny that he told you that you can share with our listeners right now?
0: Well the one thing he told me is that when I mentioned the only watch piece unique piece that he put up for sale um, obviously he was expecting you know a high number to become for to come for his watch because if you look at the previous auctions his watches have always sold for quite a high price and they've always just improved uh, auction after auction and so this year it fell for 1.8 million
1: Swiss francs yeah yes
0: yeah. yeah, Swiss francs and uh, the the first thing that he told me when I asked him about it is that oh we were we were expecting much higher than this. And the reason I said why is because he was expecting um, the gavel to not come down as fast. Like he, I think it was, no, was it one of the, no, it was not a a very early watch. But still, he was expecting the gavel to not fall as fast because the way he was explaining to me is that you have a first wave of people uh, bidding on the Mm -hmm. watch. Then after this kind of like a slow down moment where people are like, you know, it goes up to like a Still million. Still considering. Yeah, million five, million eight. And then you have the second wave of like people uh, coming and bidding more. So he was expecting it to go way above, you know, two million uh, Swiss francs. So when it fell at 1.8, he was kind of surprised. And I think a lot of people in the room also were a bit shocked. Like, oh, is, is it done already? 1.8, uh, oh, it could have gone a bit higher. So he said that obviously he was expecting a high number, but he could have gone way, way higher.
1: So anyway, um, the story of on the uh, astronomic souverain is on the site now. And, you know, go back and check on it uh, because we will have a full interview with FP Jarn out quite soon. So back to our interview with Carl Friedrich Schufler. In our last uh, revolution issue, which came out in September, we actually broke the news of the Alpine Eagle that came out. And um, it was the story written by our founder, Waco, who met with Carl Friedrich as well and sort of uh, talked to him about the inspiration and everything. Um, But when Carl Friedrich Shufla came to Hong Kong to do the launch of the watch, uh, we caught him as well to sit down and do a podcast with us, which he very happily agreed to. And we were extremely, extremely um, privileged to have had the chance to talk to him
0: yep that's right and that made for a very interesting conversation where he gave us a lot of insights of how the watch came about um, the material that they use because they they're using a new kind of steel that they developed
1: yeah a sustainable kind of steel
0: yep and so we learned all about it in the conversation and i think you'll fairly enjoy what he had to say so without further ado uh, let's get into it so our guest today is uh, Mr. Carl Friedrich Cheffele from uh, Chopar. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for your time and uh, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. thank you. So we'll start by first congratulating you. Um, uh, you recently received the Prix Gaia Spirit for uh, Enterprise Award. Um, so this prize, I think, recognizes your contribution to watchmaking, to the watchmaking industry. So this must have been quite a,
2: a proud moment for you. Well, I guess it's needless to say that I'm very thrilled and honoured to receive this prize, and and I certainly somehow didn't expect it. Okay. Um, but it uh, it was great a great moment. Yeah. Also to share with uh, with my family, for sure.
1: So your your family is here with you today. You brought your wife and your daughter to Hong Kong to celebrate um, the launch of mm. the Alpine Eagle here, right? Um, so, let's go back a little bit into the history of Chopard. Your father bought Chopard in 1963, and mm. I think you've mentioned in the past, in some past interviews, that your father was quite obsessed with Geneva, as well. So, can, can you tell us a little bit about maybe growing up and and how you found yourself following in your father's footsteps?
2: Well, somehow, you know, I found myself. Uh, growing up in, you know, surrounded by the watch uh, industry, or uh, uh, going to the factory every now and then, and and playing with watch parts, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of a inevitable um, right. evolution mm. to find myself uh, at Chopard. But between these early days and um, My actual arrival, uh, you know, I went to school in Geneva, international school and uh, had many different ideas in my head when I left school, I wanted to study art and, and, um, but then found my way back to Chopin um, Mm -hmm. because of the jewelry apprenticeship that I started and um, the fact that I I could really travel while -hmm. working. Right. Mm-hmm. Which was something I really wanted to do. So um, there were no obligations to join the company, and uh, it was, um, of course, suggested. But um, and that was probably the best strategy anyone could have <laughs> right. to make me to make me come.
3: Yeah.
1: Not you forcing you into it. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. You don't have any other regrets of maybe uh, not going into other industries instead of watchmaking
2: no i think uh... really no regrets uh... simply because working uh... in the industry really um, made me experience so many different aspects of uh... creative processes which is what i like most mm. and um just looking at the uh project we we just launched here the Alpine Eagle watch uh, was just a wonderful project and where else could you actually do that in which other industry could you actually do that so sure
1: yeah did your father give you quite a lot of control over what you can do in the company when you joined
2: well I think this was a a very (laughs) a very vision a visionary move uh, I would say that he actually Gave us my sister and mm-hmm. myself um, a lot of room to move. Yeah. And we could make some mistakes, but we could express our opinions and uh, actually, you know, develop uh, ideas. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's a vital, uh, uh, vital way of getting a young, the younger generation interested.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, is that what we try to do with
0: your own uh, children? Is why maybe well, Carl Fritz uh,
2: came? You know, that's what we... Yes. I I, I remember this, of course. And uh, and I find that Carl Fritz really enjoys uh, the same prerogatives right. that uh, we can offer him now. And uh, it's probably the best way forward. Mm. Yeah. Does he still want to
0: be part in watchmaking? Because I know he's studying... In uh, is it, uh, he's studying hotel management. That does he have any um, interest in choosing one of one of those, or is he going to try to stick to both industries?
2: Well, he's studying hotel management, but he already said that uh, he doesn't necessarily want to work in the hotel right. industry.
3: Okay. Mm.
2: And uh, but it, it gives you such a, a g- great general. Um, uh, approach uh, and general knowledge that it, it can be applied to, to Chopin right, for sure. without any problem.
1: Mm. Yeah. The 70s was not an easy time for the watch industry, um, but Chopard sort of managed to stand out because uh, you created happy diamonds, I think. And the story is that you, you, were, you saw a waterfall or you were inspired by something that um, mm. turned out to be happy diamonds. Like, Can you tell us a story?
2: Well, what uh, what happened? Uh, first of all, when I when I first joined the company, <clears throat> the quartz revolution, as it was called in those days, right. mm-hmm. was about to to happen, and uh, and I saw it happening when uh, you know most of our collection became quartz, and uh, we were abandoning mechanical movements mm-hmm. and of course in those days I didn't realize you know really what that meant right.
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, and even less what what will happen after that and at the same time um, it was a period where design uh, watch design was was predomin- the predominant factor mm-hmm. um, And our uh, designer and uh, decorator at the time, uh, uh, Ronald Kurovsky, was the man who who had the idea for the Happy Diamond Watch. Mm,
3: Uh,
2: In fact, uh, yes, he was looking at a waterfall and uh, his idea was, you know, how can you reproduce the... uh, the effect of mm-hmm. water f- come falling down and playing right. with the light, mm-hmm. or diamonds moving instead of being set and playing with light. Mm. And he he made it a design. We won a prize under the condition that we made the piece that we we had designed. Right. And that was the most challenging part, <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, because we had no idea how we would actually Go produce the watch with these moving diamonds without scratching the whole inside of the case.
3: Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah, mm. but you, So you also believed very strongly in mechanical watches at the time. And you set yourself the huge task to find a manufacturer, but instead of finding one, you actually created your own is that right so okay can you tell us a bit how did that happen well
2: I was uh, I was very keen on relaunching mechanical watches within our company and uh, I was convinced that this would at one point um, be an important uh, element of success and about and and making us more authentic in our mm-hmm. approach and and independent so uh, yes we were looking at uh, acquiring a facility for making movements but mm-hmm. nothing really was on the market in those uh, in the early nineties Right, mm-hmm. and um... so I said, well, the best thing to do is to uh, set out with a wh- blank piece of paper and, right, and from scratch. make the first movement starts from scratch. And that was that was 1993 mm. and thereabouts.
1: Yeah. Was right. that a huge risk, or you think, or
2: you know? <laughs> it, it's funny sometimes when you when you uh, when you start a new project you don't always measure the risks mm. uh, completely entirely and uh, I think that is good that's actually a good idea because if you think about every single risk you take then
1: you'll be too scared
2: I would not be an entrepreneur yeah. and right. I would not be sitting here
1: right right you know?
2: and uh, so yeah. uh, yes it was a risk but it was also uh, a great learning curve yeah. And,
1: yeah. and you had the best Uh, because you worked with Parmigiani Fleurier yeah in the very 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 early stage
2: we worked with Michel uh, Mm -hmm. and then I realized that we had uh, slightly different visions Mm -hmm. Uh, you know him very much uh, artisan Mm -hmm. oriented and I was a little bit more concerned about uh, producing a few more movements than he thought um, and so we had to make sure that what we did was gearing up to a, a real facility for making movements. And um, But he, it's, it was his fault, uh, or rather, thanks to him, <laughs> yeah. uh, we ended up in Fleurier. And, mm. and that was uh, the perfect uh, place to be um, right. mm. at that time.
1: Mm. Did you have an idea or like a vision of like what you wanted the movement to achieve when you set out to create the manufacture and then go into developing the calibers? You know,
2: I I was really only looking at one mountain mm-hmm. at a time and uh, I wanted to climb uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first one which meant uh, making uh, a first uh, automatic movement and uh, and then take it from there. Mm-hmm. Mm. I had no um, intention of climbing ten mountains in a row. Right. Mm. Uh, but as always, when you are on top of uh, one mountain, you can you can see others. Yeah. <laughs> which you also want to climb. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. And and so 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 with that, Chopard became a very um, you know a, a great company that was doing well in jewelry and in watch segment. And then you still with that. I'm, I'm guessing you were already a very busy man. You, you found the time to create Ferdinand Berthoud. Is, is that was more of a passion project or was there really something, uh, a specific goal that you had in mind for uh, having that company?
3: on side? No,
2: I think that, that was definitely more of a passion project and it was definitely something that I didn't need to do. Mm. But it also contributed to, uh, I would say to make us even better mm-hmm. because with Berthoud we set the targets even higher right. and um, and looking back I think everyone else uh, in the Chopin team also benefited from this uh, adventure, let's call mm-hmm. it a- an adventure. Um, obviously my family was not uh, um, very keen on uh, right. seeing me doing this while I was con- complaining about not having enough time <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but somehow you always Some find the time to, yeah, right. to do the things that you you're passionate about
1: Yeah. so I think maybe we should talk about the Alpine Eagle since. yeah sure yeah um, so, I mean, we during the presentation earlier, you talked about how it almost came in kind of like a full circle because you designed the St. Moritz when you were young and now Karl-Fritz desi- kind of mm. took the watch and... Um, At
0: the exact same age as you were. Exact yeah. same age.
1: Yeah. 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 It's quite and
2: fun. We didn't plan it that way. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
0: so there was no pressure on his side. Oh, no, I'm no, 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 maybe no. am 22, maybe I should try to do something. No pressure. Okay.
2: No, no,
1: right. no. Yeah. Um, may, um, can you maybe tell us a bit about... The so Saint Moritz, the inspiration behind it, and and um, what was the z- design process?
2: By the Saint Moritz, the inspiration was re- relatively uh, down to earth. I was very, uh, I was always a very keen uh, skier, mm. and always I always like to be outside, doing uh, say going sailing and doing things like that, water sports so i i said you know in our collection there is nothing that i can wear um doing While you do these activities doing these activities mm-hmm. uh you know how about a watch that can actually i can actually wear more or less uh, mm-hmm. to different occasions and um and then the whole idea came about with the, you know, designing a steel watch, and, and mm-hmm. we said, oh, we, we never had one before." I said, "Well, that's a good reason to have one now," and and so on, and yeah. um, that's how the Saint Moritz came about.
1: Mm. Did you did any at any point did your father not approve of your what you were trying to do or? or was no, he fully think, supporting uh, there
2: was no point where he didn't approve with the uh, principle um, but he you know obviously he was mindful about the risks and mm. uh, reminding me that uh, you know uh, we didn't have the technology necessarily to make waterproof watches mm-hmm. and and but uh, for me that was not a problem, I didn't see it as a problem but mm-hmm. as an opportunity Right. I
3: see.
2: and uh, somehow I was so enthusiastic that um, um, yeah. everyone else uh,
3: yeah.
1: agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So when the watch came out it did quite well, it was very successful, um, I think also in, even in the Chinese market it was doing quite well. Um, I was just wondering why you did not continue with the St. Moritz collection, when, when was it discontinued?
2: It it lasted for about twenty years, mm-hmm. roughly. Twenty which is a a long time. Yeah. And somehow we we made a uh we, we designed a, a sort of a Mark two version and uh I think it was a it was some at the times different circumstances made that uh, resulted in us not continuing the collection. Mm. Um, I couldn't really pinpoint the reason, but uh, you know, we—I uh, was—I was involved in. I started being involved in making movements, and the Media collection was very successful. Mm-hmm. Of course. Well, we had other things that we we were looking f- forward to, mm-hmm. and somehow um, we didn't continue uh, with the Saint Moritz um, but maybe that was that was good because now we we actually uh do a proper a proper relaunch yeah. right. and um, under uh, you know exceptional i would say exceptional circumstances with you know three generations involved That's right. and uh hmm. It couldn't have been better. Mm. Yeah, and then you you were explaining how at
0: the time the Saint Maurice was very representative of its time, and now the Alpine Eagle is also very representative of our times uh, today. So uh, yes, yeah. So it, it is for sure. I think a good way for Chopard to you, you, some people would say enter the uh, the steel sports watch, but it's not really the case because you were already part of it before. Yes, I mean we
2: you know. In a way, if we would not have had the St. Moritz watch, I would have been opposed to to entering this market mm-hmm. sort of as a Me Too uh uh product. Yeah. But with the St. Moritz watch and the history behind it, uh I I thought it's a very meaningful uh way to come back. And um and we had a great time redesigning uh yeah. This, uh, amongst uh, the three generations.
0: That's right. And but so you were saying how it, it, it took a while for the Alpine Eagle to come out. You went through several prototypes, whether mm. it was the case or the the dial. What was the main thing that you, you were not happy about uh, that you were waiting, you know, for for it to to arrive to finally give the the green light?
2: Well, I you know, I was. It was a difficult. Um, the beginning was difficult because the question was how far should we go in in making changes, and how much of the initial design should we keep, mm-hmm. and that was a, a lot. There was a lot of discussion, uh, but we ended up saying that the the bracelet definitely has to has to stay, mm-hmm. um, and the case we wanted it become more bold and right. Well, the entire watch. Uh, should become more sporty, more well uh, more in line with today 's uh, requirements mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the saint Moritz was a bit more on the elegant side, if you wish right mm-hmm. and and this one is now more on the sporty side mm. right uh, the simple one one big aspect
0: of the watch is the fact they 're using very uh, sustainable you know luxurious material right that's something that to you and your sister is something very dear to 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 your hearts right
2: yeah well you know independ- independently from this project we we had this uh, an ongoing development for a you know a new interesting steel
3: mm-hmm.
2: which uh, should be a, a, a material which was recycled and we wanted it to be uh, not only sustainable, but harder, right. if possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, <laughs> the requirements were pretty, pretty high, pretty high. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was an ongoing project, and when we when we entered the Alpine Eagle project into the Alpine Eagle project. You know, we kind of immediately made the uh, connection. We said, mm-hmm. "This is, this is the material we have to use." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this being said, it wasn't e- it wasn't easy to use it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but then
0: in you, the first place, right? But in your work in sustainable luxury, mm-hmm. do you think that is your goal to kind of push other brands to also get more into that space mm-hmm. and be more? Um, how do you say? Mm-hmm. Do you like hope that what you're doing screen? is also going yeah.
1: to push other brands to? Well, I
2: you know. Clearly, we were hoping that uh, we would pave the way mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and um, that that and, and not to be alone. Mm-hmm. and, and right. I think if you look at what we did in the sector of of gold, mm-hmm. then you could actually see that we did yeah. we started the journey mm-hmm. in a very small way with with the um, first initiative of uh, fair mine gold, mm-hmm. relatively small quantities, and, right. and now using ethical gold for the ho- entire production. If you look at what's happening in the market, then you can see that we are no, no longer alone,
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and that is great. Mm. That's what we really wanted, mm. for sure.
1: So uh, I want to talk a bit more about uh, lucent steel. So this is something that uh, only Chopard has... Ex- exclusivity over, right? Because it's something you guys yes. d- developed. Um, and I think you, you said it took four years of development, is it? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about like sort of what lucent steel is um, and the difficulty of producing it?
2: Well, basically, um, lucent steel, the, the particularity is that it is melted twice. Mm-hmm. And through melting it twice, uh, it becomes more... Uh, Compact, mm-hmm. more uh, the impurities will be less, or there will almost be no impurities, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, the molecular the molecular structure basically is is different to to normal stainless steel,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, therefore the steel becomes it becomes harder, and it becomes um, we can be used for uh, purposes, even uh, including surgery right. yeah. or, mm. you know, surgical steel. Um, but it is more difficult to to work with, right. uh, in terms of tooling, in terms of. Uh, so there was a learning, learning curve involved for us.
1: Mm.
0: Right,
2: and the last aspect is 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 more visual. Yeah. Uh, it, it is more shiny.
1: Mm. Have you actually done any tests on it to sort of like prove that it's m- much harder than normal steel and oh, yes. stuff like that? Yes, right? Yes. Okay.
0: So at, at the same time, visually, um, people are, are obviously going to try to compare the Chopard Eagle with, you know, its predecessors such as the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak or the Patek Philippe Nautilus. W- what would you tell to those people who would try to make comparisons?
2: I think every one of these watches, including ours, has a a strong individual character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the Alpine Eagle uh, has arrived on the market as a strong, uh, interesting alternative. Mm -hmm. And, And then the rest is up to to whoever, you know, whoever is interested at any given moment in buying one of these watches. Right. But I think we, we, we bring a very interesting, very individual uh, watch to the market with character, uh, with its own character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a very uh, interesting history.
0: Yeah, at, at the same time you're pricing it um at, at a value that's much more accessible than its counterpart. So was that also an aspect that was important to you to make it, you know, more accessible to a broader um audience maybe?
2: Well, I think uh the fact that my son was uh, involved, you know, he he reminded us that, you know, the younger generation also uh, wants to buy, you know, obviously interesting mechanical mm-hmm. watches mm-hmm. nowadays yeah. and and f- for me personally that has always been uh, important to make sure that we had watches in our collection which would be attainable uh, for f- also for the, some younger generations or not only people with relatively deep pockets yeah mm-hmm. that's right
1: so the alpine eagle's name i you, you told us come, came from you um mm. what other names were were in the bag that you can remember oh there
2: were some uh, some names related to the steel there mm. were some names related to uh rather to you know uh, you know sensations or uh, situations right mm-hmm. And, and somehow, uh, amongst these names, uh, we, we came down to like four or five. Mm-hmm. And one of them was remained, uh, Alpine Eagle remained in the race, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, um, and interesting enough, my, you know, my children, all three of them, uh, voted for that name. Okay. Mm. I, I didn't influence anyone. You didn't influence them. I promise <laughs> right. you. Um,
1: you didn't tell them this is the name I picked. no no no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then, and everybody uh, really warmed up to that name uh, very quickly, especially mm. because, uh, especially when you explain them the uh, the background, right? Yeah. And uh, the meaning. Uh, um, yeah. of what we want to express.
3: Yeah. For sure, for sure.
2: And
0: it, it works quite well also with the, the foundation that you're involved in where they were trying to reintroduce eagles into the ecosystem yes. and you're reintroducing the yeah. alpine eagle into you know the watch ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So yes. it, it works quite well, <laughs> well in that aspect. Everything
3: tie, <laughs> ties, ties yeah, back together. Everything ties True.
0: back together. Yeah. It comes back here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to end up maybe on, on something more personal for you because mm-hmm. you've managed throughout your life to... You know bring your hobbies and turn them into businesses so you know you have watches you have wine that you're able to turn into businesses you have your hobby for vintage car racing that you know mm-hmm. now you sponsor millimilia and you're also very close friends of uh jacques I, b- I believe yes so you know like it, it, it must not feel that like you're going to work at all at this point <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah well sometimes it it especially from the outside it yeah. looks uh, it looks much better than it it sometimes is but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but no I consider myself extremely lucky no doubt
3: Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, you know of course uh, there's a big responsibility that comes along with all of that And mm. uh, but the fact that you can go to work any given day and that you're actually uh, uh, in a creative process or and, and working with um, uh... with things that you that you're passionate for yeah. uh, is it's is just uh, Yes, I'm unbelievably lucky. For sure. Mm. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. I, I
0: had the chance to recently meet uh, Jackie Ye in Shanghai yes. where he was unveiling the new Porsche 935. Mm. Um, so you've done several Mille races with him as your co-driver if, uh, if I remember well. Yes. Okay. Did you have like a story of, you know, a Jackie Ye story that you could share with us or something fun that happened on your adventure?
2: Yeah, I, I guess uh, the the first the very first one we did together. Was in nineteen eighty nine, I guess. Mm. Uh, the first media we, did, we right. did together. We didn't know each other very well. Okay. And um, I was reasonably nervous, um, you know, about the whole thing. I invited him to join the media and then. Um, came, uh, which I was surprised, right. um, he found that was a great idea, uh, but the first thing he said, well, I'll be sitting next to you, and you'll be driving. Okay, <laughs> right, uh, Come, so,
0: coming from a racing legend, that's And I said,
2: oops, but I, I hadn't planned this right? Yeah. Uh, at all, and it was my first mini-media, and it was uh, driving. Being the driver of Jackie, yeah, yeah, know? that must have been
0: quite an experience.
2: And I was, uh, I was getting more nervous by the minute <laughs> right. before the start, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and really, he was, uh, he was very supportive, um, but also, you know, he has a very special humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes you wonder if he he means it or doesn't I mean, mean it, <laughs> right? <laughs> And uh, so his remarks were really funny, but by the time we got to almost to Rome, I saw him uh, taking a nap, okay yeah. and I was starting to relax because I said, "Well, if he's taking a nap, that my driving is not it's too not bad." It's not too bad, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he felt safe enough that he could. Yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> and and then this this uh, continued actually, all the millimeters we drove together he probably drove uh, 25% and I the rest Okay. Mm. Right. and uh, he still seems to enjoy that you know, so, yeah. um, when we continue to joke about it you know, <laughs> he said, no, no I want to watch The Countryside and The Italian Girls that's right <laughs> <and we drive."> <laughs> <laughs> that's right, living the life
0: yeah. um, <laughs> so. yeah. well, Mr. Schuffler thank you very much for your time thank it's you been so a pleasure to talk to us and uh, we hope to see you very soon Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So that was our conversation with Mr. Carl Friedrich Schoeffele from Chopard. Um, Steph, I think overall, uh, we seem to have very much enjoyed this conversation with him.
1: Yep. Very much so.
0: We hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Um, in the meantime please check out our previous episodes uh, leave us a, re- a review whenever you get your podcast and we hope you tune in to the next one
1: see you next time see you bye